I'd like to have you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if you will. <clears throat> and verses 10 through 18, most of us are familiar with this passage as being the passage that Paul encourages the church to put on the whole armor of God. And uh, that's a good thing for us to do, especially in these last days as we wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. But Paul says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let me interject here very quickly that we're going to read that as we just did at the end of our study today, and then we're going to study it next week. Just letting you know, we're just going to read it a couple of times a day, because I think it's important for us to realize that's going to be the foundation of these next two weeks. But there's a, an important word that is found in that passage that will, will make a lot of sense in connecting the things that we're going to look at today. So getting back to what happened on New Year's is that uh, uh, near the end of that prophecy update, I, I actually stopped short of a question that would have led me into another section of the update, which we didn't have time to consider, even though I mentioned uh, something about it, and that is the question, how do we handle the uh, increasing wickedness in the world. And we talked a lot about what was happening in the world in 2017 leading into this new year. And I asked this question not only regarding all the worldwide issues pertaining to the state of Israel as well, because most of the focus of, of, of New Year's Eve was on the state of Israel and the things that are happening in the Middle East because of their prophetic uh, importance. But I ask this question also regarding the war that is being waged in the Church of Jesus Christ today. A war that is increasing in intensity, even though we think, what war are you talking about? Well, it's a, it's a war that even the Apostle Paul had to deal with in his own time, nearly 2,000 years ago. And I quote it from Philippians chapter 3, which I'm going to quote again, verses 17 through 21. And Paul said, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. And what he simply is saying here is, follow, be followers together of me. In other words, follow me because I'm following Jesus. And those who are following with me, follow them as well. Mark them. Take note of them. Take note of their walk. Take note of their life. This is pretty much the full extent of what he's saying to us in this passage. Many, uh, he says, be followers together of me and mark them. In other words, take careful note of walking so as you have us, for an example. For many walk. Now he kind of brings in this, this contrast. 
For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. So that's an indicator that what Paul is saying here is, is incredibly serious. It's serious to the point that Paul himself is weeping about the problem that there is. And he says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. And if the first thought that comes to mind is that these enemies of the, of the cross of Jesus Christ are outside of the church, you have to come back to the context of what Paul has been saying. You have to go back to the book of Acts, chapter 20, when he was talking to the Ephesian elders, and he says to them, listen, there's, there's a time coming that there's going to be people rising up from your church that are going to be contrary to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and even some in leadership. So he says, these, even weeping, are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. There's a judgment for them, whose God is their belly. They're only about satisfying their own pleasures and not satisfying the, uh, the, the obedience of God. And whose glory is in their shame. They glory in the things that we ought not to glory in. And the whole reason is because they mind or they have a mindset on earthly things. They only care about the things in the earth and not about heavenly things. Paul goes on to say, for our conversation, or literally our citizenship, is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And he makes clear again that one objective of the Lord in his coming is that he's going to change us from these mortal and, and corruptible bodies into a, a, an immortal and an incorruptible body. And there is, of course, a purpose in that. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking then about, in, a, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, uh, boom, it's going to happen. And he talks about it in 1, Corinthians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when he talks about the Lord coming to what? To snatch away his church. So I wanted to make the point that one of the main problems in mainstream churches today that have put aside the full counsel of God's word is that they are, the, uh, for the most part, ignorant of prophecy. And I say that not because they don't have the opportunity to study prophecy, but they don't want to. It, it's the willful ignorance of the prophecy. Uh, a, a willful ignorance of prophetic themes, of prophetic times, and especially... And we could spend a good amount of time talking about this, especially Israel's existence in the last days scenarios, which the scriptures have made quite clear. I've talked many times about the fact that there are certain segments of the church today that are enemies of the state of Israel, and they'd rather be those who would support uh, Palestinian causes rather than the nation of Israel, which the Lord says he is restoring and has restored and is going to bless and he's going to destroy their enemies. I mean, this is what the scripture says. So what it reminds us of is that there is a battle. There's going to be a battle in the church today. And by the way, it isn't going to be. It's already happening. It's already existing in, 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 the, in theological uh, differences and all that are taking place. But it's going to become more and more intense. 
as the day of Christ approaches. A battle between so-called nominal Christians versus true believers in the word of God and in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I use the word nominal because it's an interesting word when you, when you see the definition of nominal, it means token. There are some people who are just token Christians. They are Christian by name only, but they don't trust in the Lord, they don't trust in his word. In fact, I've known people who have come and said, you know, you, you got to study the Bible too much. We're going to go someplace where they don't study the Bible that much. Well, I don't know what else to study if we don't study God's word. In fact, we were commanded to. So we do it, why? Because it's God's food for us. It's what feeds us, it's what prepares us, it's what fills us with the wisdom and knowledge of God and of our futures. And future, by the way, is a very important thing when we're talking about prophecy. But we begin to, to, to expand this understanding of, the, of, of this particular battle, this particular war, if you will. Because then there is the so-called emerging church today that has uh, really kind of taken over the mindset of, of a lot of Christian bookstores and stuff. And, 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 and now, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much being so trusting in the Bible and the Word of God. Uh, so, you know, they said, listen, we, we need to set aside some of these things. You know, the people that study the Bible all the time, I mean, there's, you know, they, they, they say that we are uh, worshipers of the Bible. That's No, we're not. We're worshipers of, of the God who gave us his word for us to know. We worship him. We don't worship the Bible, but we study the Bible. We have to because that's what he's given us. That's his gift to us. So uh, the emerging church says, listen, we need to sit down, put aside you know, some of these issues that we can't solve anyway. Let's not be so concerned with, the, with prophecy and all of that. So let's put aside the, uh, the, the word of God. And so we have the emerging church against biblical Christianity, which says we believe and trust in the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. These churches also have a new age influence that is a war that, that, that prompts a war between the new age and the old path. The new age and the old path. And I'll explain that in just a moment in Jeremiah chapter 6. There is uh, those who, who, who stand in, in something called the replacement theology by saying that they, uh, they believe that uh, God has replaced the church or they, God has replaced Israel, I, say, I should say, with the church and that the church now is to receive all the blessings that Israel was supposed to get. Well, that, 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 uh, that particular theology falls in, in so many different ways. We've talked about it before. We'll talk about it again, I'm sure, at some time. But it is a war between replacement theology and the restoration of Israel, which is biblical, by the way. And time and time again, we could, we could find actually hundreds of passages in the prophets of the Old Testament alone that talk about the restoration of Israel. Even the prophets, they themselves have had to say to Israel, listen, God is going to put you into captivity. God is going to set you aside. God is going to take you out of the land. But he is going to restore you. And I guess sometimes they just don't want to read that. They spiritualize that in some way and say, that's just the church. So anyway, that's part of the war, as it were. And then there is uh, the dominion theology versus God's prophetic sovereignty. Dominion theology says, listen, we're the, we're the, the people, and this is connected to a lot of movements in, in, uh, in the church today, the new apostolic reformation, the movement of, of some new spiritual revival is going to be taking place. But it's all about taking dominion over the, uh, over the world, and we ourselves are going to make the world better, and then we can present it to Jesus when he comes. It's like saying, well, we're going to make the world better, so that, you know, and, and the Bible continues to tell us, no, it's only going to get worse. So I don't know where they get these things. I mean, they, you have to 
take so much scripture out of context to have these kinds of, of, of thoughts, but this is part of the war that's taking place in the church today. God's prophetic sovereignty just says, listen, God has already seen the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, and he says, this is what's going to happen, and so expect it. So until then, persevere, and when I come, it'll all be settled. And then the last portion that, uh, that I talked about was preterism versus pre-tribulation rapture and the literal pr prophetic fulfillment. Preterists, uh, people uh, who are... Uh, uh, in this particular movement are those who believe that all scripture, or I should say all prophecy has been fulfilled. There, there's not one prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled, so everything's fulfilled, so we don't look you know, for the coming of the Lord. Not, not in the way that we do, because uh, the, the, the war is between preterism and, and what the Bible says about Jesus coming. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you will be also. Paul says, listen, in a, mo in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, this, this is going to happen. 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord is very, uh, or Paul is very clear that the Lord is going to come with a shout, and, uh, and he's going to catch away the church. So, I mean, th these are all things that are yet to happen, haven't happened yet. You can't spiritualize them because these things are literal things that are going to happen. And as we see prophecy being fulfilled on a daily basis practically, we realize they are things that are literal. So this is what the, 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 the battle is. But it gets much deeper than, than we sometimes think. If you'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 6, I talked about the old path here just a moment ago. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 16 and 17... And of course, this, this again is a word to Israel or to Judah. It is a word to them that says, this is what God wants you to do. And they say, no, we're not going to do it. So he says in verse 16 of Jeremiah 6, this saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Ask for those ancient paths that are tried, that are true, that will stay the same always, because the Word of God itself stays the same, doesn't it? The Word of God is the same. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the Word of God himself, the Logos. And thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and seek and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, I mean, that's the ultimate fulfillment, of course, of this, but he says, where is the good way? And walk therein. Walk therein and you shall find rest for your souls. If you remember in Matthew chapter 11 what Jesus said when he said, Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. Same words here. God is saying if you'll do these things, you'll find rest for your souls. But notice what the answer is. But they said, we will not walk therein. Stay on the old path. Stay on the word of God. Stay in the truth of God's word and you'll find rest. But we won't walk there. We want something new. We want something exciting. We want something entertaining. That's what people are seeking in churches today. And I'll tell you this, they're getting it. We didn't come here today to entertain you. We're here today to worship God. We're here today to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We're here to listen to what his word says so that we might enter into this new year with a ready heart and a ready mind to serve him until he comes.
And then in verse 17, it says, also I said, watchmen over you. There are people that I put in the place so that they can tell you which way you're going and which way you shouldn't go. I, I've set watchmen over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. You know what this, this reminds me now of is the problem of today of people not wanting to listen to prophetic teaching, prophetic events that are taking place and listen to how all of that is coming out of the scriptures. But that's the, what God is saying to them. I said, a, I said, watchmen over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet, listen to it, be ready for it, be warned by it. And notice the answer, but they said, we will not hearken. We won't listen. And sadly, this conflict will lead at some point to, to those who set aside the word of God fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus himself gave to his disciples in a passage that we'll be looking at next week in John, not next week, but actually in a few weeks in, in John's gospel because we're, we're still in John chapter 16 coming up. But So I turn to John 16 because there's something there right at the onset of that chapter that, that we need to see. And Jesus says this to his disciples as he's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. Now take, take note of that statement. That whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. Think about that. They're going to take you out of the synagogues. Now what should they be doing in the synagogue? reading, hearing, and listening to the word of God. Instead, the ones who have followed after Jesus. See, because the, uh, the, the, the fulfillment of this, the, the early fulfillment of this, of course, has to do with uh, the disciples and the apostles after Jesus' resurrection. And they going out and, and, and preaching Christ. And of course, all of them, for the most part, except for John, was, were, were martyred completely. But the further fulfillment would come to those who truly desire to serve God fully and completely in the word of God, in the love of God, in the love of Christ. And there are those today. I mean, let's, let's face it, in the last two years, ISIS attempted to wipe out Christianity in the, in, in the areas that they had, they had captured in, in Iran and Afghanistan and other, other places. They, they martyred, uh, they, they killed, they beheaded Christians. Their whole purpose was to wipe them out. They think they're doing their God a service. By the way, it's not the same God, is it? So you understand this idea, this, 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 uh, this aspect of, of thinking that they're doing God a service. God a favor, you know, we're just doing God a favor. We're getting rid of all of these Crazy Jesus people. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But here's the interesting thing that Paul, the apostle, knew that heart attitude very well because it was his own while a Pharisee. What did Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, attempt to do? Try to get rid of everybody who named himself a, a Christian because they were all Jews, by the way. The early church was all Jewish. And they were opposed, I mean, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. 
And this was invading his territory. But he was blind to the Messiah. For a time, anyway. Until he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And this kind of heart attitude must be seen as one of the signs of the times leading to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's consider that thought about the signs of the times. I mentioned last week about the hurricanes and the earthquakes. I mean, the, the, the intensity of those things that have happened, uh, the natural uh, disasters that have been happening over the last few years, uh, actually have been greatly increased over the last 20, 30 years. But there has been a tremendous increase. There was a study done of, of all of these things happening all the way back 2,000 years, which I found to be very interesting that they chose 2,000 years of historical documents and records to, to note that there was an increase of hurricanes and, and uh, earthquakes and volcanoes and all kinds of other things happening over a 2,000-year period because that is the period of the time after of, of, of Jesus' first and second coming or the time in between the first and second coming of Jesus. Just, just a tremendously interesting thought about that, that that's how they measured that. But it's even more, I mean, it, it's actually uh, uh, multiplied, uh, you know, the immensity of hurricanes and earthquakes, the immense wildfires. Think about the wildfires in California. I know it's affected some of our own families. North Korea and the threat of nuclear war. The increase in mass shootings. The political and social anarchy in our own nation. It was almost a daily event in, the, in 2017. The powder keg that is the Middle East and Israel. All of these, take, th these things taking place. Russia, Iran, Turkey, all of them falling into place. Ready for this Ezekiel 38-39 Gog-Magog war. All falling into place. The nations are surrounding Israel today. Israel, by the way, we know is there because of Ezekiel 37. The valley of dry bones and the dry, the, the dry bones have resurrected and, and now they're, it's the nation of Israel. These are the signs of the times. These and many more things are the signs of the times. But as one pastor put it, it is also about the size of the times. Things are, are happening so, so quickly nowadays. And, that, and not only that, but we get news in real time. We don't have to wait till the next morning. We, we get it tonight. We get it right now. We know what's happening on the other side of the world this very moment. And the, and the scriptures allude to that, by the way. The scriptures allude that at, at, a, at a very given moment, every eye will see Jesus Christ when he comes. All of these things, they'll, they'll even see the things that's, that a, the Antichrist is going to be doing in real time. That's all set up now. So this has become significant as we enter into this new year as well. And there's no doubt then that we're living in the times of the signs. Because every day something is happening that should lead us to realize how serious this time is. One of the founding fathers of the United States of America, Thomas Paine, wrote a, a pamphlet in 1776 entitled The American Crises on the beginnings of the American Revolution. And he did so to inspire the Americans against the British. Now at the time, General George Washington read this pamphlet aloud 
to his soldiers to motivate them and to encourage them. And I'm just going to read one paragraph to you, but it begins with a very famous first line. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard it. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. In reading this particular statement, I thought not so much about the politically moral perspective in which it was written, but how it can also reflect the spiritual and prophetic perspective that the child of God needs to have from the Word of God that places great importance on knowing the times in which we live and knowing the signs of which we are to be made aware. These are indeed times that will try and test men's souls. Let's not forget that we're living in serious times. The enemy of our souls would like us to be distracted from all of that. To say that the times aren't so serious. Oh, they're a little bit serious, but not, you know, crazy serious. I don't know about you, but I think we're living in crazy serious times with everything that's happening. But I thought about how we do, even in the church, cheapen what is to be precious. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a minister uh, in, uh, in Nazi Germany, as a matter of fact, he was executed for his, for his being a part of a plot to, to assassinate Hitler. But he wrote uh, some very powerful books. And, and in one of them, he, he stated concerning how we have cheapened the grace of God in the church. But the grace of God is not cheap because of the price that was paid for it. The price being the blood of Christ. And we've, in too many ways, have, 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 have cheapened the grace of God and cheapened the things of the word of God. And this is why we see what's happening in the church today being so, so split in so many different ways. And I think of the words of pain when he says, we have this consolation that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. And that, that, that applies actually to what the Lord says. It says, you're going to go through times of trial and, and, and stuff, but be of good cheer, Jesus said. I've overcome the world. See, where are we placing our trust when we think about the things that are happening in this world today? So what we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly in the church. 
And we need to realize that the times are serious. And the closer we get to the coming of Jesus, the more, des- the, the more determined we need to be to be light to this world and salt to this earth. Even people who make no claims to be believers in Jesus Christ believe that the world is imploding, falling apart and down around and upon them. But they don't have a hope. We have the blessed hope. So we can, we can rejoice in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength, so we can rejoice in the Lord. That's not cheapening anything. That is, in fact, obeying the Lord who said, Praise ye the Lord. Give honor and glory to the one who created you. Honor him, bless him, serve him. Do these things in your life. But we need to know the times in which we live. But the greater threat that should concern us as believers in Jesus Christ today is the apostasy that is in the church simply because it's an inside job. It's what the enemy has done to bring down faith, to bring down trust in God by deceiving the children of God who aren't trusting and standing upon the word of God. Speaking directly about the church, Vance Havner once said this. He said, the temple of truth has never suffered so much from woodpeckers on the outside as from termites from within. Think about that for a minute. He, he was a very witty kind of guy, but I mean, but every truth that he, that he spoke was, I mean, it hit you between the eyes. Bible teacher and prophecy student Andy Woods has defined the, the word apostasy in a very clear and applicable manner. So I want you to understand this, and I want you to understand it very clearly, so I wanted to use this particular example. He said, the English word apostasy is derived from two Greek words. The first word is the preposition apo, A-P-O, which means away from, away from. The second word is the verb histemi, H-I-S-T-E-M-I. The verb histemi, which means to stand. And thus, apostasy means to stand away from, to stand away from. And thus, apostasy refers to a departure from known or previously embraced truth. To stand away from that which had been previously embraced, which is, of course, the truth of God's word. The subject of apostasy, of apostasy has little to do with the condition of the unsaved world, <clears throat> which has always rejected divine truth and therefore has nothing from which to depart. So you see why departure is so important. Rather, apostasy pertains to the spiritual temperature within God's church. So I want you to consider, if you will, the passages in scriptures, in the scriptures pertaining to apostasy and how we'll see that they are connected to the signs of the times and why apostasy is one of the signs of the times. Turn, if you will, first to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. As you're turning there, you need to understand something. You need to understand that Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, someone who he led to the Lord and groomed him in the word of God. 
discipled him in the word of God, and then sent him out as a pastor. And history teaches us that Timothy was the pastor of the church of Ephesus early on. So now he's writing to him as a young pastor, and he says to him, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, so he's talking about in the latter days or in the last days, some shall depart. There's the word. And the word in the Greek is aphistemi, using the same two root words, apo and histemi. Aphistemi, which literally means withdraw self. So in the latter times, some shall withdraw themselves, depart themselves from the faith. Notice, from the faith. What faith is that? The faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The faith that they may have once previously embraced, but now they stand away from. Giving heed, and this next section tells us what the, what the very source of that is. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Giving heed to seducing spirits. It, it amazes me today that in some segments of the church where there are churches that consider themselves to be Christian churches, that they are going through uh, having all kinds of, of uh, things like, you know, what they call Christian yoga. Uh, yoga, by the way, is, is, is something that's tied into Hinduism. Uh, they, the, they, they go into bringing in other speakers from other religions and say, listen, we need to try to get the best out of these things. The Buddhists come and and uh, 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 Muslims come and, and, and they sit down and they have all of these kinds of discussions. No one ever bringing up, you know, the errors of these things. So, I mean, it's, 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 you're, you're bringing in, you're allowing seducing spirits to come into churches. And you're not checking it with the word of God. So that's happened, that happened in Paul's time. Read the book of Acts chapter 20 where he talking, he's talking to the Philippian, I'm sorry, the Ephesian elders in Miletus and he tells them, when I depart, there are going to be some savage wolves come in from within the church and even from within the leadership, you know, to, to destroy the flock. So it was happening then. Have we improved so much that it doesn't happen today? No, it's happening more. That's the only problem. And then think about this, the doctrines or teachings of devils and demons. It doesn't make sense, does it? But, it? but it's happening. Once you begin to allow other views that are drawing their sources from the enemy, who, by the way, wants to be covered up in all of this, you know, they're not really like, you know, well, this came from the devil. They're not going to say that. Well, it came from this other religion, but aren't all religions going to the same place? Ah, it's not what the Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm the only way. Ah, okay, so we clearly see then that the source of apostasy is seducing, deceiving spirits and the teachings of devils. Well, that is indeed happening today. And then he writes a second letter to Timothy, and by the way, thou... A few years pass. Timothy has been uh, struggling through his ministry. As, as you know, there's always times we, we, that we struggle as pastors in the ministry. 
Uh, and uh, so we get to a point where we're just needing some encouragement. And Paul writes a second letter to him as Paul is now getting ready to, to meet the Lord. And he'll be with the Lord uh, after his uh, martyrdom. But he writes this last letter to his son in the faith. And he says to him in verse three, uh, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. So once again, he points him to the last days. And by the way, remember when the last days began, between the first and the second comings of Jesus Christ. So he says that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. But notice verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. You know, we would, we would focus so much in, in teaching this verse on the form of godliness and denying the power, that we never really emphasize much on what he said at the end. He says, from such turn away. The reason why some of these things come into the church is because people aren't turning away from them. And in these last days, we need to turn away from anything that isn't the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and isn't the truth of the word of God. And if somebody's trying to bring any of that stuff in, we're going to have to deal with it. It's got to be that way. Having a form of godliness, folks. What does that describe? Well, it describes what Paul said about the devil himself. Who he said comes as, a, as an angel of light. He disguises himself as an angel of light. That's a pretty serious thing in a church. Why? Because we look at light and we say, well, God must be good. But what is his intent? What is his purpose? Are we discerning? Are we paying attention to the gifts that God has given us to take care of one another in the church? The gift of discernment. The reason why there is such a, such a divide in the church is because there's a lack of discernment. Because there's a lack of understanding the word of God. A few verses later in verse 13 of 2 Timothy 3, Paul said, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, which means that it's going to get worse. To wax means to, to grow. Uh, to wax worse and worse means to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's what the times are going to be. Well, we're there today. In the next chapter, he says to Timothy in verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Which is, Sound doctrine is, 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 is knowing the, the doctrine or the teaching of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Sound doctrine. You try to add anything to that, it makes it unsound. But after their own lesson, this is the description now, they don't want to hear the truth, so they want to hear what they want to hear for their own lusts. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So we've got teachers everywhere. Teaching one theology after another. Teaching this, teaching that. You can be rich, you can be this, you can, you know, whatever. Be all kinds of things, but not even giving you the truth of the word of God. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned aside, or shall be turned unto fables. If it isn't the truth of the word of God, then it's a fable. 
Just a story. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, a very telling passage here where it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. Which again is, is Paul describing, you know, the coming of the Lord for his people. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. I stopped there for a minute for this reason. There was a letter that had been sent to the church in Thessalonica after Paul had left. Saying that this was Paul's letter to them that they were now going to be going into the tribulation period. Which of course Paul said it, wouldn't, it, it wasn't going to happen. Because the first thing that they were going to look for in the last days was the coming of the Lord Jesus for his church. So he sent them a pattern very clearly. So he says, listen, nor by letter as from us. As if it came from us, don't listen to it. Don't be troubled by it. Don't be shaken by it. As that the day of Christ is at hand. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. The word of, uh, for deceive here is exapatao, which means who, who will deceive you completely and totally. Which says, you know, some people are deceived completely and totally from the truth. This is what he means by that. But then he goes on to say, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. What is falling away? Apostasia. Apostasy. A standing away from the church and the faith. The true church and the true faith. And the word of God. And that man of sin be revealed, the Antichrist, the son of perdition. So this is what we need to be careful and watch for in the church of Jesus Christ today. And, and I would say, have discernment when you watch or listen to programs. I've heard people say, oh, I listened to this person or that person. And I'm thinking, really? Did you know that this is what they teach? Because, you know, make sure that you dig deep and find out what their foundation is. Because if you don't, a little bit of truth Pull you aside. John Phillips writes this. He says, The river of apostasy is rising today. The perilous times of which Paul wrote are upon us. When it reaches flood level, that river will inundate the earth in the final apostasy, which is the enthronement of the devil's Messiah as this world's God and king, that is, the Antichrist. Some think we can look for a worldwide spiritual awakening before the rapture. And I can tell you this, John Phillips wrote this probably at least 20 to 25 years ago before this new apostolic reformation that is taking place today that is confusing and confounding so many people, saying that there's going to be this tremendous spiritual awakening, there's going to be this tremendous uh, revival in the church, uh, but it's going to be according to their, you know, kind of their, uh, their ways and their ways of thinking. Uh, highly... Uh, Apostolic and also highly um, um, uh, Pentecostal in some in some particular cases. Not that Pentecostal is bad, but when you've taken Pentecostalism to its extreme, that's when it gets bad. So some think we can look for a worldwide spiritual awakening before the rapture, but the passage in Second Thessalonians indicates the opposite: a worldwide departure from the faith can be expected. God might indeed send a revival before the rapture, but the Scriptures do not prophesy one. So what this tells me is that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is very, very near. It is very near. There's no reason why we shouldn't trust what the Lord 
told his disciples in Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse in Luke 21, verse 28. I've quoted this verse many times where Jesus said, and when these things begin to come to pass. Now remember in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, he, he said all these things are just the beginning of sorrows. So he says when, you, when these things just begin to come to pass, then look up. Don't wait till they're already in the midst of it to start looking up. No, look up now. If you haven't looked up now, start looking up now. Why? Because your redemption draws near. Look up and lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. Your redemption is nearer than when you first believed. Your redemption is nearer than on the day that you received Christ and someone told you, listen, be ready because Jesus can come at any moment. Your redemption is nearer today than ever before. And you need to be ready for that. And you need to take these things serious. Jesus certainly made it clear that prophecy and prophetic themes and events were going to take place in the last days. And as I said to you, the last days can be defined as being between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And that's proven in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days, notice he calls their time the last days, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. I, I can assure you that not only in the scriptures, but also in the writings of the apostles and, and the extra biblical writings of the time, people were waiting for the Lord to come and take them out during the time of the Roman Empire. So they were waiting for Jesus then. Don't you think we're a lot closer now than they were then? Of course. It's obvious. So we have to be more ready than ever before. And they were ready. And many of them gave their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So understand that. But we've barely scratched the surface of the present situational dilemma in answering the question, how do we handle the increasing wickedness in the world? So with time, the time remaining, let's, let's look at the initial text that we read for today in the book of Ephesians, which is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. And we will certainly come back to this next time because of its significance and grave importance to every believer in this new year. And that's, again, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. And I'll comment along the way, but I won't, you know. I, I, I know that you probably think I've just drank a whole pot of coffee this morning, and I've been a little bit kind of quick. Uh, I, I have a lot to do. We have communion uh, yet to come to. And uh, so uh, that's, why, that's why we always provide the CDs. Or you can watch this on live stream at home or on Facebook, and, and re review it again, so that uh, you can actually take it slow, and then stop me at, at times, and then, you know, get your thought. All right? Okay. So that's why I'm doing this fast, because I want to make sure that we can finish in time. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might. What does that tell us? It's, it's not our strength. We, 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 can't, we can't be strong in ourselves against the, uh, against the enemy. No, no, no. We need to be strong in the Lord. In the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is a battle, folks. And the armor is what you put on when you go into battle. And by the way, one of the things that we're going to talk about next week is the fact that we're not just servants of the Lord. We're not just children of God. We're not just the friends of God. We, we are, we're soldiers, 
You know where we read earlier in Philippians that uh, there are the enemies of the cross? Well, we are the soldiers of the cross of Christ. The soldiers of the cross, which is, we're the soldiers of the love of God. We march on our knees, by the way. And we have a great leader who leads us. By the way, our leader can't be defeated, amen? All right. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, every time you see the word stand, now remember we've talked a little bit about another stand, which is stand away from. Every time you see the word stand or withstand, mark it in your Bibles. Stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. These are the things that we're going to ex examine next week. This is what we're dealing with each and every day that we live and move and have our being in Jesus Christ as we wait for his return. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, underline that word, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And notice what the next word is. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Not just some of them, all of them. By faith. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So if you remember from earlier on, the definition of the word apostasy to stand away from, it speaks of a departure from previously embraced truth, truth that is no longer embraced, in other words. But in this text, in Ephesians, Paul emphasizes the very opposite. He says, stand. Now, by the way, these are military terms. Literally, it means stand your ground. Stand your ground. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. Stand. Not stand away from. Stand in the battle. But remember that every part of the armor of God speaks of Jesus Christ. He's your armor. He's your covering. He's your weapon. See, most of, the, most of the armor of God is defensive, but he has one weapon, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God, and we need to know that we need to put on the armor in these last days. Our focus next week is going to be entirely on this passage as it pertains to our stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil as we wait for Jesus Christ to return for his church. But before we come to the table of communion today, I want to share a simple, a simple truth that I believe the Lord wants me to do this every week, and that is the, gospel, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to do it by using the three R's of salvation. I used to be a school teacher, so I used to like the three R's, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And uh, we didn't have spelling, but we did have reading, writing, arithmetic. All right. So the three R's. First one is recognition. Recognition. 
Recognize sin and its consequences. Recognize the fact that you are a sinner. And admit being a sinner in need of God's salvation. Recognize the very fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us in this room. Born in sin. The very fact of the matter is because we were born in sin, we deserve judgment. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to realize that he took our place and died for us. He died for you and he died for me. And understand that in Hebrews 9 verses 27 and 28, it says that as it is appointed unto men to once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. By the way, he appeared the first time without sin too, just so you'll know. And then understand this, that you can't do anything. There's nothing in your righteousness category because you're not righteous. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, which is simply being made born again of the Spirit of God and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's how we're saved. Not by what we've done, but everything that Christ has done. Second R is repentance. Acknowledging our sin and then turning from it and then turning to the Lord. Turning away from our sin in the direction that we're going and turning to the Lord. One very interesting verse is Acts 17 verse 30. Paul's talking to the philosophers of Athens. So that first part of the verse says the times of his ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God commands us to repent. To turn away from our sins and to turn to him. But it is a repentance that comes with a sorrow. A sorrow for the sins that we've committed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh or produces patience, I'm sorry, produces repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow. This isn't a matter today of, of saying, look, if you just say this prayer, then you'll be saved. Because that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say that. A lot of people thinking that just by saying a prayer they're saved, then they go on living their lives the way they want to. Godly sorrow says, I know why Jesus went to the cross, because of my sin. And we sorrow over that, because the price was high. It wasn't cheap. And then thirdly, after we repent, reception, receive. We call upon the Lord and we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by faith. And by the way, believing is receiving. Believing is receiving. We know that from John 1, verses 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, notice this, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Receiving 
is believing, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so for this to be activated in your life, if you've never prayed to receive the Lord Jesus, then understand what Paul says in Romans 10, verses 9 through 11, before we come to this table, and we won't take long, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is the simple gospel. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Why? Because he's taken our shame. He put the shame on the cross. So if you've never prayed to receive Jesus, now's the time to receive him. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. But there has to be repentance and recognition.